Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. And to those uh, live streaming or watching us later, welcome to you as well. It's always good to be with you, you know, on these weeks. You know, there's a, a lot happening over the next couple of weeks. A lot happening over the next couple of weeks. So before I open God's word, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes and talk about a couple of those things. Um, our desire is that we do these together and well, and, and, and so we're going to work as hard as we can. I'm trying to steer clear of trees here. I've got people I can't see because of trees. Is that okay here? Um, so next week, as Sylvia mentioned, next week we move indoors. Um, a number of you have asked, why are we moving indoors? Um, why don't we just play it by ear and make a decision on Friday or Saturday? <laughs> um, there's a lot of work involved in being outside. <laughs> a lot of technology, a lot of effort, a lot of pivoting. And we decided that we, the weather is becoming less and less predictable, of course. And because of all the effort that goes into setting up, it's just easier for us to make the pivot now and honoring all the people who do all the work in setting up and getting things ready and, and preparing for that. Pay attention to all the things that are being sent to you e-blast. You'll see it on the Facebook sites. Uh, you'll see it in various, all of our platforms. Uh, a lot of guidelines. Now, most of them you guys have been following for months now, wherever you find yourself. You're not going to discover anything new. It's just different than what we've been doing out here. But we are going to ask you to, to kind of hold the space for those. As you, those of you who've been hearing me talk about this for a couple of weeks, know that we are trying to hold on to three values as we go indoors. Obviously, the value of safety, something we can't, we can't ignore right now and, and stop paying attention to. Uh, the second value is openness. We're working hard to, to stay as open as we can be to as many people as possible and not create too many obstacles and barriers to people. So we've been thinking through how do we do that, and we'll see how well we've done next week and how well we do in the weeks to come. And then the third value, which in many ways is just as important. This value of just mutual respect and consideration of each other. As you've heard me say, as we move indoors, because of all the practices, there's no one way to do this that satisfies everyone's hopes and expectations for what this should look like. And so what we're going to need from you all is just a lot of understanding. You know, I want you to look at this as a way of us loving each other, respecting each other, honoring each other, and understand that for a couple of weeks, there are going to be some bumps. You know, we're going to have to be, we're figuring things out. And so our first couple of weeks, I'm just going to tell you up front, it's going to happen. And so be understanding, be gracious, be patient with us. Uh, we'll get it figured out hopefully soon. Um, and then this will just be a great opportunity for us as a family uh, to, to experience this together as we move indoors. Our vision statement says this. Following Jesus compels us to extend grace to others so that Christ's kingdom may flourish. Following Jesus compels us to extend grace to others so that Christ's kingdom may flourish. 2020 has been a uniquely challenging year for Grace Church. Not just for Grace Church, for all churches. But we as a community, this has been a uniquely challenging year for us. But friends, I want you to know that as we look towards 2021, our vision 
is not to survive this year. Our vision is to flourish with the mission God has called us to. And while the circumstances have all changed dramatically, we're having to think differently, we're having to function differently, we're called to carry out and become the people God has called us to be, whatever those realities are. And so we're going to push forward through that. And there's a lot of conversation going on right now about what that looks like and how do we do that well as we move into, into this next year. For those of you who have been around Grace, you know that the month of November is historically set aside for us to begin talking uh, uh, about our budget for next year on two levels. Our general ministries, which is everything that we use to operate in our missions globally and locally through Engage Fayette. It's the month that we prayerfully just come before God and begin to invite his provision, his leadership, and friends, we, we don't look at this process primarily as a financial journey. We see this as a faith journey. This is us as a community wrestling with how are we going to look to God and trust God for this next year. Well, as I mentioned in my vlog this week, due to all the uncertainty that we, we, we know is out there as we look towards 2021, we have decided that we're only going to prepare and promote a six-month budget. We feel like there's too much that's unknown out there for us to project that far out. And so we're going to look just at June, or January through June and, 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 and function a little bit shorter time frame next year. And we're going to make another adjustment for those of you who have been around Grace for a long time. So the first adjustment is we're moving to a six-month budget. The second adjustment, historically during this time of the year, we use what has been called here a missions faith giving card. It's the way that we ask you to go before God and prayerfully consider how he would lead you to give and invest in missions. Uh, we're not abandoning that practice, we're expanding it. This year we're going to call out the Grace Giving Cards and beginning sometime this week you'll receive the budgets for our general ministries, our missions ministries, and you'll receive a single card. One card, two budgets. One card, two numbers. And we're going to ask you to apply the same practice that you've applied for many, many years to missions to our general giving as well as our missions giving. And there's a reason for that. With all that's going on, and we've been separated from a large part of our church family for almost nine months now, there's so much that we don't know. Grace Church is changing. New families, some have left. The dynamic of who we're becoming as a community is changing. And so we're looking at this time as an opportunity for you to display your commitment as we look to the future and how God is leading you to give and, and set aside your resources and supporting grace. And for the leadership community, it's going to give us a gauge for where we are today, where we stand today. Is our budget planning consistent and close? Because as you know, we do everything we can. In fact, we, we do stay within the resources God has provided for us. And so what I'm asking is that everyone in our church family complete one of these cards. If you're new to Grace, this is your way of becoming a part of us and joining us, becoming a part of the community and standing with us. And so you'll hear me talking a lot about this over the next couple of months and or the next couple of weeks, maybe months, 
No, the goal is to wrap this up into early December. But join us. Become a part of this with us. Let us know where your heart is. Let us know what God is leading you to do financially as we look towards next year. And if you do not receive our e-blasts and our communication, let us know, speak to one of us so we can get you connected because there's gonna be a lot of information that we are directing to you digitally because we're not together to pass it all out. And that's gonna be your lifeline. And we wanna be sure no one, no one is left out of that. Okay? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter four. And as you're doing, I wanna have a word of prayer. Father, we, we have a couple of big things ahead of us over these next few weeks. moving back indoors or moving indoors. Father, the, 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 the grace-giving process where we're beginning to discover and, and invite our financial commitments for next year to our missions environment and our, our general ministries. Father, we, we ask for your provision. Surprise us with your generosity. Surprise us with your grace. Father, our desire all along has has simply been to be faithful with all that you entrust to us. And so, Father, as we move into this end-of-the-year season and this, this worship tradition here at Grace in the month of November, we're asking you once again to display your goodness to us. And, Father, in a way, maybe unlike any other year, uh, we, we need to hear from one another and discover uh, just what you're doing among us. And so, Father, we trust you. And it's with that ex expectation and sense of anticipation uh, that we look forward to both of these events as they begin to unfold in November. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week and next week, we're going to bring this study of Philippians to a close. And as, pra as Paul brought the letter of Philippians uh, to its close, you know, sometimes we get to the end of a letter, we just kind of read quickly. And we miss, we miss some of the real significant things that are there. And as Paul is, is bringing this letter to a close, you're going to find that his words are very personal. Of course, they're, they're intended for the ears and the hearts of the Philippian Christians who had stood by him so faithfully uh, over the years in prayer and financial support. But Paul's words and, and the ending of this letter uh, gives us a unique window into Paul's heart for people. And it surprises some. Some of us who have hung around the church have developed a perspective of Paul as a strong and bold and sometimes insensitive leader. He loved his people deeply and he cared deeply for them. And so there's great value in Paul's words today. So look with me at verse 10. Paul wrote, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. You know, you read through that quickly and the words at last could be easily misunderstood. On a certain level, you could read them as Paul expressing his disappointment or frustration like finally, finally, it's about time. That he was, he was expressing just his, his own internal turmoil um, one of the things that I've enjoyed appreciating about Paul is he never presumed upon the generosity of people, ever. Never took it for granted. 
fully trusted God's provision for him, fully trusted the timing of God's provision. No, these are not words of disappointment or frustration. These are words of relief. They're words of rejoicing. You see, it had been some time since Paul had been in touch with the Philippians. You may recall from our study of Philippians 2 that the Philippian church was concerned for Paul's well-being and so they had sent Epaphroditus to be with him. Um, And sent with Epaphroditus, uh, Epaphroditus a very generous financial gift. But the trip was longer and more difficult than anyone had hoped. In fact, Epaphroditus became so sick, he almost died. So it didn't turn out the way they had hoped. And so Paul, when Epaphroditus finally arrived, was greatly relieved. And obviously he brought with them not only their financial gift, but their news of how they were doing. And so look again at the verse. So indeed, you were concerned. And he discovered that um, they, 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 they loved him and cared for him, but you had no opportunity to show it. The Philippians were as concerned about Epaphroditus as they were Paul and as delaying getting to Paul. They hadn't heard from him in many months, nor had Paul, and and both were left wondering. Now, you and I have both been in situations where silence from a family member or a friend, someone that you had hoped to hear from, caused you to wonder if if something is wrong. Have I said something? Have I done something to offend them? Whenever you find yourself in that place, our minds run to all kinds of unhealthy places. And we begin to read into the silence things that may not be there. We all have stories. Well, once Epaphroditus arrived, any such concern was put to rest. And with this letter, Paul was writing back to the Philippian church to calm any fears they might have about Paul's love for them. And he was sending Epaphroditus back a well man. But in verse 11, he pivots, and I'm always amazed about God, the timing of just when we enter into a study, how the circumstances around us, the timing of what we're looking at uh, coincide. And Paul begins to talk about something that has rich application to you and me today. Verse 11, Paul says, now I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, to be clear, Paul had very real needs, as all of us do. He had emotional and spiritual needs. He had material and financial needs. But over the course of his life, and remember, Paul is in his mid-60s now. Over the course of many decades of walking with Christ, he had learned to be content whatever his circumstances were. I want to land for a moment on that phrase, I have learned to be content. Now to say the obvious, contentment is not natural for us. What seems more natural to us is to always be longing for what is different, what is better, what is more than we have at the moment. Rarely are you and I satisfied with with the same with what is or the status quo. We're always striving for more or better. It's simply what we do. And and there's a sense in which contentment 
gets us too close to being indifferent. And we back away. In addition to that, our everyday life is filled with things that always challenge our contentment. Uh, Tuesday afternoon this week, um, I was returning home from my uh, daily radiation visit at Fayette Piedmont. Uh, Verna was quiet and reserved. She was in the kitchen. Uh, she had just opened the mail, and that afternoon we had received two letters. Um, the first one stated that our insurance company had denied a recent procedure as medically unnecessary. Um, my urologist had appealed it uh, with the assurance that there's no problem. They've always accepted his appeal. Uh, the letter was the second denial <laughs> of the appeal. Uh, the letter, interestingly enough, said we would rather pay for the secondary infections of radiation than for a pr procedure to prevent it. And I'm thinking, thanks. <laughs> Um, but there was more. The second letter stated that they had, after the fact, determined that my oncologist was no longer in network. And they wouldn't cover her charges at the in-network rates. So I went to bed that night irritated about everything insurance, <laughs> to, say, to say the least. But that's everyday life, isn't it? Isn't that just life for all of us? Stuff just shows up all the time that requires something from us. Emotional energy, time, or money we don't have to give to it. See, contentment must find its way into our life that is filled with many competitors and distractions. There's always things pulling at us that just seems to enter our, our lives on an everyday basis. And it's in the midst of this that contentment is learned over time in our everyday experience with Christ. That's where I want to land for a few moments. It's right in the middle of this that contentment is learned in our everyday experience with Christ. Paul used a Greek word for contentment here that was common in the Greek-Roman Stoic philosophy of the time, and, and it described a self-reliant posture. Now, even today, when you and I think of someone, we'd say that, that that's a kind of a stoic person. When we think of someone who is stoic, we think of someone who is calm, almost without emotion, dispassionate, unflappable, stiff upper lip, someone who responds to every situation with the same tempered acceptance and resolve person stoic. The Greeks and the Romans believed this self-reliance was among the highest of human virtues and that this virtue resided within all men and women, that everyone possessed the inner resources to respond to ever-changing circumstances in such a stoic manner. And of course, the strength of, of, of stoicism is, is the importance it places on how we regulate our emotions. And that's a needed thing, isn't it? You think when you and I are navigating challenging circumstances, living on an emotional roller coaster is neither healthy nor wise. But by contrast, Paul locates the resources for contentment not in ourselves, but in Christ. 
Look down at verse 13. See, I can do all of this. See, I can learn contentment through him who gives me strength. And we're going to come back and talk about that in just a moment. But here's the statement I'd like to make right now. Contentment is not natural to us, but contentment is nurtured within us as we learn to trust Christ in the variety of our everyday life experience. So all these annoying, frustrating, all the stuff that's coming into our lives, it's right in the middle of that that we learn contentment as we learn to trust God in the midst of all of that. Uh, Look at verse 12. Paul says, "I, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul's words were not exaggerated or overstated on any level. He was speaking from decades of learned experience. And they knew Paul's story. I, I'm not going to. Paul had lived through the midst of all kinds of craziness. They knew that. So when Paul says, I've been there, I've lived with a lot, I've lived with nothing, I've done the whole. They knew that he was speaking not just kind of heady spiritual platitudes, he was speaking from life experience. And, and then he repeats it I've learned the secret of being content. This word secret is a really fascinating word. Uh, it's a curious word today. As, 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 as I give you some insight into the word, we're going to go, huh, that's curious. It's a curious word to us today. Very familiar to Paul's readers. You see, the word for secret was commonly used in Paul's day within first century pagan mystery cults to describe the ways people were initiated into a cult. Secret initiation rites. Uh, today, we might think of it in, the ter- in, in terms of the way students are initiated into a university fraternity or sorority like Alpha Sigma Phi or Sigma Delta. And they all have their little secrecy around the ways that they're initiating people um, in, into, into the sorority. Now, Paul using a word like this makes us a little nervous. A pagan mystery cult, really. One of the things that you discover about Paul is that he was comfortable using the language of his culture to communicate spiritual truths. Uh, Another great example for those of you who are familiar with the New Testament was Paul's sermon and debate with the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers in Athens in In Acts 17, most of the conversation took place not using the scriptures, but using their culture. Paul understood that. And and Paul selected a word that painted a picture, a vision his listeners were familiar about that they would get immediately. So when he says, I've learned the secret of being content, what, what he is saying is Christ initiates us into a way of life that is characterized by contentment. He opens up the access. He opens up the door. He initiates. He invites us into a way of life that is primarily characterized by contentment. And this secret, this contentment, 
is available to every follower of Christ for every situation we encounter in life. How needed is the secret of being content for us today? In all the life situations that we're dealing with. All the uncertainty and the unknown surrounding COVID-19 and the ways our lives have been disrupted and the long-term financial implications for many families. The post-election thoughts and emotions. Some of our family are grieving, others are rejoicing. The enormous challenging challenges facing churches as we seek to disciple people to follow Jesus in today's culture. I look around and some of you are living with significant personal needs in your life. Large health challenges. You're out of work. Your finances, your relationships are fragmenting. Or think of all the things that we say to ourselves from, from our personal and past narratives that keep this, this contentment alive. Things like, I'm not gifted enough. I'm not creative enough. I'm not courageous enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm too broken. I'm, I'm too wounded. The list goes on, doesn't it? You see, contentment is a unique challenge in our affluent culture. It's too closely connected to our abilities. We, we tend to think that contentment is reserved for those who achieve or accomplish the things that we desire for life to be meaningful. Couples who have that great marriage or good kids and good parenting, the right career, the right ministry. And in our culture, being content and being successful becomes synonymous. It's just as closely connected to our abundance. Contentment seems to be reserved for those who have everything we think we need. Ironically, some of the most wealthy people I've known have been among the least content people I've known. And some of the least wealthy, the most content. You see, Paul doesn't anchor contentment in either our abilities or our abundance. He anchors it to Christ. Look at verse 13 again. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is certainly not arrogance. It's a declaration that Christ provides everything we need for every situation we face in life. So because of Christ, our always changing external circumstances need not alter our internal commitment, our contentment. So there's something inside that resides that can engage anything we face. So I have a question, and we'll begin moving just to wrap things up. I have a question. What is the relationship then between contentment and the peacefulness we talked about two weeks ago in this very chapter? Are they the same? Is peacefulness and contentment the same thing? Or are they different? Let's go back for a moment and look back in verse, verse 5 of chapter 4. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Remember what we learned two weeks ago? 
Whenever our anxious concerns begin to consume us, we pray. And we pray with specific requests, full of trust that God, God hears. And we pray with thankful hearts, full of gratitude that God provides. And then God makes a promise to us when we pray about specific things. He says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And this peace, we learned, is an inner calm, serenity, and quietness that God gives us when we trust his everyday provision for us. We said it like this. We are calm when it makes no sense to be calm. There's nothing in our life that would say calm is how that person should be functioning. And yet we are. And his peace transcends understanding. It reflects our willingness to trust God beyond what we can see or understand in the moment. So Wednesday morning this week, after going to bed irritated with everything insurance, um, I woke up and my mind that morning was racing to what this was now going to cost us. And I was running all the numbers in my head. And playing around with, okay, what are we going to do to navigate all these thousands of dollars of extra costs? And so I prayed. Father, I, I just don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't get it. I don't understand it. You've always provided for us. Thank you. Father, I ask you to resolve this soon. But whatever the outcome, I trust you. And in those simple words, my soul became less anxious, and more peaceful, even though nothing had changed. You see, our peacefulness is anchored to the confidence that God knows what's best for us, what's wise, what's good, especially when we can't see it or understand it. And you and I are invited into a faith journey that takes life one day at a time, one experience at a time. As it comes to us, we live in the knowledge there is nothing, that there is something from God in every moment, in every experience, in every situation. There's something from God for us in this moment now. We live life every day with a God who goes with us, however far, however challenging. So where does learning the secret of contentment fit into this? Here's what I would suggest. Contentment, different than peacefulness. Contentment is the fruit of our cumulative experience with God. Contentment is the fruit of a cumulative experience with God. You see, never does a day go by when I'm not praying that prayer in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing by prayer and supplication. Let your things, every day. My guess is that's your experience too. Very few days that we're not praying like that. Here's what I want you to hear, and maybe more important than anything else I've said this morning. Over time and with practice. This rhythm of prayer and peacefulness. Prayer and peacefulness prayer and peacefulness over time. And, and as we, we, we practice that in all the, the shifting experiences of our life, something quietly begins to shift inside of us and, and our attractions, our affections, our longings, our fears become more shaped by God's heart and God's value. And little by little, we're becoming what we most desire. Peacefulness, 
begins to settle into our soul as contentment. The practice of prayer and peacefulness become not just more normal, they become more natural to us. And as they do, our overall posture in life becomes for the gospel today. Maybe the most dramatic way that you and I display the presence of Christ in our lives is that we are becoming more and more content. And what people are seeing less and less in us is fear and anxiety. In spite of stuff being what stuff is, there's a, there's a, a calmness and we can simply say it's because of Christ who strengthens me. And it points people to Jesus. And it becomes dramatic. I think today, in our culture, with all that's going on, contentment might be the greatest evidence of Christ and the most vocal display and demonstration of the gospel that we can offer. Let's stop and pray here, and we'll continue on. We'll continue on next week. More to be said as we finish, but Father, we desire you. We desire to be more and more like Jesus. We don't fully understand the ways you change us, but you do. And in this wonderful, simple practice of prayer and peacefulness, we become more and more the men and women we desire to be. Then there's a, a time we wake up, we look back, and we, we, we realize I'm more calm. I'm more content. The very character of who I, I am as a person has begun to shift and change. And, and what 10 years ago was so unnatural to me has become more natural. It's your work in us, Father, and we're grateful for that. So, Father, we, we ask that you continue to shape us into contented people. As Paul has said throughout this letter, that our lives might display a life that is worthy of the gospel in every way. Grateful for Christ. Grateful for your life within us. Uh, grateful for the everyday way this is lived out and experienced. We can do all this. We can live this way. Because Christ lives within us, strengthens us. Not only makes us peaceful, but content. In Jesus' name.